Good morning again, everyone. It does a good job, that video, I think, of representing how so many people feel about church these days. And what the video said is true of us. And I want you to know that messed up people are welcome here. Because the fact is, whether we admit it or not, we're all messed up in different ways. And the Father is constantly working <clears throat> on each of us when, when we cooperate and even sometimes when we don't. But for our part, we want to grow in 2013, both as individuals and as a church. So I hope that you are doing the things we've talked about since the beginning of the year, inviting people, different people, every, every week for this year. Invite someone to church. Uh, let's encourage each other to stay in the Word daily, every day. Uh, meaningful time in prayer, devotional time. And of course, we want to track with the Lord in everything that we do, even in our habits, our daily habits, and our eating habits, that, that's for me, our exercise and so on. We want to keep in line with a, with a healthier lifestyle this year so that we can honor God and with all that he's given us. I've been, <laughs> it's baby steps, but I've been eating better and eating less and losing a little bit of weight and trying to do better because I want to honor God with, with my life and, and in this body that he gave me. Uh, part of honoring God with what he's given us would include making really good, logical, sound decisions when it comes to everyday tasks like splitting wood instead of splitting your hand open. And I, people are going to, everybody asks me, so I'm just going to go ahead and get it out of the way. <laughs> so we have all this wood cut because we, we heat mostly with wood, and, and, but I don't have kindling. So I go out every night with a little splitting mall and I split up, take a piece of wood and I hold it with my left hand and I stick the splitting mall in the top of the piece of wood and then I let go and I lift the splitting mall up with the wood attached and whack it on a rock or a piece of wood and it splits off kindling and I do that every day. I've done that for a long time. And I got home the other night and it was, I got home late, it was dark, it was raining and it was cold in the house. So I went out to split up some kindling and you know, I, I sat out there and the wood was wet, everything was wet, the rock was wet and I raised that splitting mall, and I heard this voice in my head. I believe it was the Holy Spirit. And it said, you're going to cut yourself. And, you know, <clears throat> you can say, if you, some people would say that's the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe. I really do. Some people would say that's just your common sense. You know, God gave us that too. So either way you want to look at it, it was God speaking to me. And I overrode that voice in my head, and I said, nah, I do this all the time. And I came down with that splitting wall and it glanced off the wood and I buried it into my hand. So I got a, a few stitches, but I'm okay. But I messed up. I confess my sin today to you. Uh, and you know what? It's okay if you mess up too. Um, if you get off the plan, if you make a, a bad decision, we all do that. But we have to just ask the Father to forgive us. Um, give that mistake over to him and get back on the path that he's laid out for us, okay? I've got stitches that'll come out. There'll probably be a little scar there forever. And as a reminder of my disobedience and not listening to the voice of the Lord, but the wound will heal. But the key is I have to move forward. I can't ignore the wound, right? Or it'll get infected and all sorts of bad things can happen, okay? It's really good to be here with you today. I want to say, Mary Beth and I, she mentioned it, we were at a pastor's conference this week at Hilton Head, the South Carolina District of the Assemblies of God, our state, hosts this conference every year for pastors from all around the state, and I was asked to lead worship for part of it, so they brought us down there, and it was a great time. Uh, but for most of the meetings, we were able to just attend, and I have to tell you, worshiping with other believers 
and not being on the stage to preach or lead worship was a great time of refreshing for us. It's been a long time since I've done that. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm really glad to be back here today to worship with you from this side of the pulpit. Um, it is an irresistible calling in my life, and I feel very blessed to be able to share it with you today. I mentioned last week that I believe that God is quickening the church worldwide to prepare for a greater work. And I'll tell you that I have been sensing in my spirit a stirring by the Holy Spirit in his people. And I'm getting very excited, to be honest, about the future. I don't exactly know what that looks like yet, but I do believe that the church is coming into a time of repentance and renewal and commitment. And I believe what is going to come out of that is a stronger and more effective missional church and a subsequent return to our first love. And I think when that happens, uh, we're going to see true revival in the church, and I'm looking forward to it. Being a missional church, which is something we're going to talk more about in the coming weeks down the road in the next few months, basically means that we're focused on the mission of spreading the gospel and reaching the lost more than we are on ourselves. And generally speaking, being a missional church doesn't happen on its own. It's something we have to work at. I was talking to another pastor at the conference this week who has also planted a new church. Um, and their church opened a couple of years ago in Columbia. So in terms of the church planting experience, they're a bit ahead of us. And I was asking him what he's learned so far through the process. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me was <clears throat> that churches that start out in their own building as opposed to leasing a space somewhere often have greater challenges in terms of being missional compared to those new churches in borrowed or rented spaces. And I've never heard that before. So that intrigued me. And I asked him to explain that further. And he said that they too were able to purchase their own building, uh, just as we have right from the start. And despite the many benefits to having your own building, and there are many, trust me, I've done it both ways, that the downside is that church people, including the leadership, have a tendency to feel a sense of arrival um, instead of a sense of we're building something new from the ground up. And he went on to say that statistically the churches, or, or at least he said the churches that have to go into rented space every week and set up chairs and set up a PA system and, and put everything, uh, the projector, get everything ready, uh, ready and then have to take it all back down every week that they tend to have a greater vision beyond themselves because of the nature of their temporary space. And that was interesting to me. So whereas the permanent tenants, the churches that own their own buildings, tend to feel probably subconsciously a sense of arrival like, and I don't mean that in a prideful way, but a sense like we made it, we're here, and now we just need to take care of our own, like it just add water and it's going to grow kind of thing. Now we do have a responsibility to meet one another's needs within the church. That's pretty clear in the New Testament, okay? It is right, and it's good for us to be spiritually discipled and fed and encouraged and built up and equipped within the church, but it's also true that we need to be looking outside of ourselves into this city and into our community and reaching out beyond what just happens in here. And if that happens, it will largely be because of members of this body as individuals and probably even in small groups reaching out to the lost, Okay, The church that is facilitating that type of a movement, that uh, pushing that, encouraging that, and supporting that, they tend to be missional churches. And it's what I hope that we will always be 
Uh, I think that's what we are now, but it's just, just the genesis of it. But we might have to work a little harder at it than others, and that's okay, as long as we don't lose sight of our purpose, okay? And that leads us into our area of study today. Last week, we talked about essential commitment, the need for us to be committed to God both in our private lives and in our public lives. And today, uh, it's our second installment of the sermon series, Essentials, and the message is entitled Essential Obedience. I believe that the chief problem that Christians and maybe even some churches are experiencing today is not a lack of direction or leading from the Father. It's a lack of obedience to his leading and direction on our part. Okay, And I think we have the outline for you today, but we had a a glitch. We're still working through media issues with our equipment. Some of it's very old. And um, I don't know that we have the scriptures for you today, so we might have the scripture references. So you'll have to follow along if you brought your Bible with you or if you have it on your phone or iPad. Um, So we're going to start out today by answering the question, number one, if you're keeping an outline, point number one, what exactly is obedience? The dictionary says that obedience is compliance with someone's wishes or orders or acknowledgement of their authority. That's a pretty good definition. But I want to look at another definition for obedience. This is the Encyclopedia Rucci uh, definition, which has been heavily influenced by the Word of God. It says obedience is complete, underline, adherence to God's command, underline complete, That sounds fairly simple, and conceptually it is simple. Living in obedience, however, assuming this definition is accurate, isn't always so simple. Thankfully, there's grace, and there's mercy, and there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So hope is not lost, not by a long shot. Today, I believe, is Sanctity of Life Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, in our country. And I'm not, I'm very political in terms of how I feel about politics, and I'll talk with anybody about that anytime outside of church. I don't ever want to use this pulpit to push um, a political agenda. Let me just say that. I will never allow, as long as I'm here, this pulpit to be a mouthpiece for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or any other party. This is about Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that's it. So I don't want to make this a political issue. People have, but I will just say that abortion... I think they're now, the latest statistic is 1.2 million babies aborted in 2012 in one year. I pray that in God's wrath, have mercy on us. That's what, that's what the prophets prayed in the word. In your wrath, remember mercy. Uh, it frightens me the direction that our country has gone. And I'll get off of this, but I just want to tell you, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we, would, we wouldn't be here. None of us, right? Still, obedience to God is commanded in his word. Grace and mercy and forgiveness don't expunge or absolve us from the requirement of obedience. They might absolve us from our sins, but we're still required to be obedient, okay? There's faith and there's works. We're saved by grace through faith, no question. But you know, if there are no works to justify our faith, our faith is worthless. It means nothing. James says it's dead. Works don't save us, but they justify our faith. You see, it's what comes out of us. In other words, we're not earning salvation by our works, not at all. But if we're truly saved and believe and have faith, 
our works will be there. Fruit will be produced in our lives that show the faith that we have. It justifies our faith is what, is what James says. So Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. That's true. And he agrees with James when James says, but our faith is justified by our works. It's more than just believing something, right? And you've heard it said that the devil believes. Sure, sure he does. It's more than that. It's our works. It's beyond that. Okay, it justifies our faith. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about forgiveness probably next week, I think. We're going to go that direction. Uh, but before we get to the place where we need forgiveness, and I'm referring to post-conversion, of course, there needs to be obedience. Before we're saved, born again, right, we all need forgiveness because we're all born sinners. But to the Christian, simply being obedient to the Father would keep us out of so much trouble that we get ourselves into, that I get myself into, okay? You follow me? So there are Christians that believe that once we entered into the law of grace, that then meant we can live any way that we want to because it's all covered by grace. I, I used to be a news junkie all the time, and since I went back to seminary and working on my master's degree in theology, I have no time to watch the news. I read books and research all the time, but I was reading some news on the internet, which is the only chance I get sometimes in the mornings the other day, and there was a story about these two actresses, famous actresses that you would all know, young girls who are in movies that my family can't watch because they're just raunchy, seedy movies. I know about them. I haven't seen them. And these girls have, are uh, just in every imaginable way that you, even pictures you see of them on television. Just, you know, it's terrible, the, the lack of morality, the place where they, it's sad, where they seem to be in their lives. And this article was about these two girls that grew up in the Pentecostal church and they were interviewing them and they were talking about how they speak in tongues all the time. And that, and their experience in Pentecost, and they still go to church and speak in tongues, and this whole, and it's, it was all about grace, but there's just grace. God just loves us, and it's all okay, because we're saved by grace through faith, as if God doesn't require obedience from his people anymore, okay? At one point in the book of Acts, the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. This was the supreme theocratic court of the Jews, the ruling authority of that day that was expected to be obeyed. The religious rulers were outraged at the apostles for preaching the gospel. So after being sternly warned not to preach Jesus anymore, Acts 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Romans six sixteen through 18 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And then 1 John 2, 3 and 4 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There's a significant body of scripture that tells us we are to obey God's commands and this is just a sampling of those, okay? So obedience is complete adherence to God's commands. There's one really significant point to be made about that definition, and that is the word complete. 
okay? Let's read 1 Samuel, if you want to turn, and we'll, we'll stay in this text for the next several minutes. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're just going to quickly work through the first 26 verses. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 26. Okay, verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. This is a city of people. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So the command of God in these three verses is to go, strike down the Amalekites and leave no survivors and take nothing from them in battle but completely destroy all that they have, all they are, totally wipe them out. Verse 4, So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction." So here we have Saul's version, his interpretation of God's command. He goes most of the way. He goes about 90% of the way there, but he decides to hold back from what God said just a little bit. He destroys almost everything, but he leaves the enemy king alive, and he keeps the best of the spoils. And the question is, how does God feel about us when we mostly obey? Or not how he feels about us, how does he feel about that. Okay, we know he loves us. Let's read on. Verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Well, that answers that. <laughs> For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul is so proud of himself. He says, Look, Samuel, here I am. I, I did what God commanded me to do. In verse 14, and Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Can't you almost hear a really awkward pause right there? As Saul tries to come up with an answer, like, uh-oh. And what does Saul do? He does what we often do when we're caught, caught red-handed. He blames everybody else but himself. Verse 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So Saul blames the people for the sin, and he gives himself credit for the good parts, Right? And Samuel has had enough at this point. 
Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, and you're not the head of, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. This is a significant point. And, and don't miss it in verse 17. Based on what God said to Paul, Saul, excuse me, through Samuel. Why is it that we sometimes follow through on what God is telling us to do? Why don't we follow through with what God's telling us to do? Particularly when it requires something really difficult on our part. When, he, when God tells us to do something really hard, why do we so often falter? The key is in verse 17, because we don't believe we can do it. We listen to all the voices around us instead of God's voice. People say, you're not good enough. You can't pull that off. That's, that's too much for anyone to expect of you. You've, you've done plenty already, after all. God will reward you for your effort. But God is saying... Though you are little in your own eyes, I've called you. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't think we always believe that, honestly. We don't often see ourselves as God sees us. I think we see ourselves often as small and insignificant. It's true, if we, if we try to accomplish great things on our own, we're gonna fall flat. But if God has called you, if God is behind it, you can accomplish great things far beyond your own capability. Let's continue reading. Samuel says to Saul, verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Okay, he's still blaming everybody else. 22, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. I think that Culturally, we've come to a place, I don't want to make too broad of a statement. It's not fair because there are lots of Christians and lots of churches doing it right. But so much uh, of our church culture today says, yeah, 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 we don't, I know we don't, we're not preaching that part of the Bible. Or we don't talk about judgment or suffering or some of the harder subjects, holiness, obedience. But God, look at what we're doing. This is awesome. We got it going on, right? We got the best worship. We got, we got a killer building. This room is awesome. Look at how hard we worked on our stage setup. Look at, look at how well put together. This is all to honor you, Lord. This is all about you. And so we're ready to receive grace, 
and worship God, but we won't want to talk about holiness and obedience. And now hear me, there is grace. And we do need to worship God with excellence. All of that needs to be there, but we can't ignore the other side of things, the requirement for us to be obedient to God. 24, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul obeyed everyone around him, peer pressure. Instead of listening to God, I can, I can tell you that I've been there. I've done the exact same thing in my life because I didn't really believe the calling on my life always and I feared that what people were saying to me would come true instead of fearing God and obeying his word in my life. Have you ever been there? Some of you might be there today. I don't know. Verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Saul followed through almost all the way, but he stopped short of completely obeying God. As far as God is concerned, a synonym for the phrase partial obedience would be disobedience. Okay? In other words, when we obey some of what God has told us to do, we've wholly disobeyed him. All right, obedience is complete adherence to God's commands. Number two, if you're, if you're doing an outline, is where do we find his commands? That's the second question. And the answer is in his word and in his voice. Okay? So A, under number two, let's talk about his word. We'll just uh, look at this very briefly because we really just talked about this, what it means to follow God's word a few weeks back when we opened. But as a refresher, and for those of you who may not have been coming here at that point, I'm going to repeat a couple of the points that we made that day about God's word, okay? God has given us his instruction, his plan, his, this writing, this ancient collection of books, 66 books that are full of eternal truths written for us. We have more tools available to us today through technology and research to study and interpret and understand this book than ever before. Not to mention God's divine revelation that he often brings as we study the word. In the pages of this book are the answers to the biggest questions that mankind has been asking for all of human history. What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? How did we get here? What's gonna happen in the future? It's all in this book. Some of its pages are 30 plus centuries old. But we have a tendency to pick it up and read a few verses once a day, if that. And I know that many of you, by the way, really do study the Bible, and I commend you for that. But it's, it's fairly common within the church for people to go days and even weeks without reading or studying Scripture other than what they're getting in church. But in this ancient document full of answers and mysteries, stories full of wisdom and poetry, praise, lament, verifiable prophecies fulfilled, those yet to come. It is, in fact, the very linchpin of instruction and guidance around which our entire existence and eternal future revolves, yet so often we hardly give it the time of day. I'm not holding up this book and these pages, the paper, and saying this is what saves us. It's not. Okay, there's nothing magical about the ink or the paper. But the content within it describes and informs 
and corrects and guides us into proper understanding of how we relate to God and he relates to us. These are the words of the almighty God, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything within them. This book explains the past, it instructs us in the present, and it tells us about the future. Shouldn't we read it more than we uh, surf the web or invest in it more than we do in other things and hobbies? And I have so many people come to me and they're searching for the plan for their life and, and I've done that too. And if you'll invest time in the word of God, he will reveal to you often personally through these pages his direction for your life. But it, it's gonna require, I would say, a significant part of your life applied to your life. A, a significant part of your life spent with this book. And I've said that before and I'll probably say it a lot more, okay? I can tell you from personal experience, the more time that you spend immersed in the word of God, the more revelation you will have. That's just a fact in regards to his will for your own life, okay? So God commands us through his word and B, he commands us through his voice. God is still speaking to his people today. How does he speak to us? I've talked to people that said they've heard an audible voice. God speaks audibly at times to people. We see that in the scriptures. He also spoke to people through other people. Sometimes that's through prophecy. Sometimes that's just through wise counsel from another person. And I love the story in Exodus chapter 18 where Jethro, this is Moses' father-in-law, comes to visit him in the desert and he brings Moses' wife and children back to them. At this point, Moses has already led the people out of Egypt and all that went along with that whole story, right? Across the Red Sea, the plagues, the whole bit. And they're out in the desert and Jethro comes along to visit and to bring family. And Moses is sitting there with all the people of Israel and he's, they're, they're waiting to see him one after another or couples or families and they're bringing their problems to him and he's passing judgment. He's saying, this is what you should do. This is how to resolve that. It's almost like a, a, an early form of a court system, which is what it was. And he was judging the people. And it says it was taking from morning to night. I mean, all day long, this is all he was doing because you imagine the amount of people. And Jethro, his father-in-law, says the most curious thing in verse 19. After telling Moses that he's going about this all wrong, he says, Moses, you're, you're doing this all wrong. Listen, he says, now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God will be with you. Now, if there has ever been a human being in the history of all time that I would think didn't need any counsel from another person, it's gotta be Moses. This guy spoke with God personally on a regular basis. And it wasn't like God was saying these, always these high level things like thou shall see the mountain and the cloud will descend. I mean, God would say, get up, grab your stick, go over here, say this to this guy, he's gonna say this and then this is gonna happen. It was like practical stuff on how to do this thing. Moses was getting in daily instructions from God personally, directly from him. I can just tell you, I know myself enough to know that if that was me and my father-in-law comes walking up and says, hey man, you're doing this all wrong. What would I have said? Hey dude, <laughs> you can keep it. 
Because I just talked to God this morning when I was eating my Wheaties, right? I know what I need to do. I don't need you to tell me. I mean, that would be my response, but that's not what happened. Moses heeded what Jethro said. And the entire concept for what was to become the governmental system for Israel is what came out of that. God spoke directly to Moses regularly. You know that God knew what Moses was doing wasn't the best way. Why didn't God just tell him? He was telling him everything else. This baffled me for a long time. And I'm telling you, I've gotten to the point that I believe that at least part of the purpose of this passage even being there is for God to say to us, no matter how close to me you think you may be, and no matter how often I may speak to you directly, you need to stay open to what God may be trying to tell you through other people because I'll use them in your life to speak to you. Okay? Another way that God speaks from, to us is from within us. People say oftentimes they have a strong sense of God's voice and they feel in their heart and sense the voice of God. That, that happens to me a lot. It's the Holy Spirit, by the way, who happens to live inside of us if you're born again, who speaks to us from within. I had people tell me they think that's crazy. But is it really a stretch to grasp that concept intellectually? I, and I honestly don't know why people have such a hard time with this. If you've been married for any amount of time, you should understand this concept of sensing someone's voice, someone's desire that you're in close relationship with. I can be in a room sitting 20 feet away from my wife and no one is audibly saying anything. But if she's mad at me, I don't need anybody to say a word. I can sense her feelings just as well as if they were written on the wall in front of me because we've been in close relationship for a long time and there's a sense of each other. She knows when I'm feeling down and I don't say a word. She knows me. If you have close relationship with God, if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, you can sense his voice if you're attuned to listening, okay? Well, how do I know it's God's voice? Rob, I, how do I know it's not just my own feelings? That's a good question. Well, first of all, God never contradicts his own word, okay? His voice will always confirm his word. You can weigh it against the word. Secondly, God will never tell you to do something that doesn't ultimately bring him glory or be confirmed by his word. If it doesn't glorify God, it ain't God speaking, okay? And third, the stronger your relationship is with the Holy Spirit, the more attuned you become to his voice within yourself. So, so the answer is be still, be attentive, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice within you. Weigh what you've heard with his word and seek wise counsel. That is a sound recipe for seeking God's voice in your life. Okay? And just a word about prophecy because uh, it's one of the most provocative gifts of the Spirit and there's much debate about prophecy. Um, I believe that God does speak supernaturally prophetically through people today. I don't necessarily believe in new revelation, depending on your definition of that. But I believe that he equips, encourages, builds us up uh, through prophetic words today. And I could teach on that subject for several days, but I believe his word is clear on prophecy. God gives prophetic words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom to his people supernaturally today. I believe that. I also think that we probably don't exercise the charismatic gifts all the times like we should. However, I want to say that the good old days weren't perfect. I remember times when it was common that in the middle of a pastor's prayer, 
in the middle of a prayer or in the middle of singing a song of worship that someone would break into a prophetic word so loudly that everything had to stop. Okay, now that doesn't mean that that prophetic word being given wasn't valid. But there's order to the things of the Lord. I don't believe God interrupts himself. If the pastor's being led by the Holy Spirit in prayer, the Holy Spirit isn't going to interrupt himself with a prophetic word. The word may be completely valid, but the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul says a lot about this in the epistles, order in worship, okay? I admit that the problem, and people have said this to me, is pastors, we don't always allow time in a corporate service like this for spiritual gifts to operate within this body. Uh, I want to tell you that I've seen God move in communion on a woman's heart and broke bitterness off of her 12 years of bitterness in the middle of taking communion because she was open to the moving of the Spirit. I've watched the gifts of faith uh, and encouragement operate in altar services uh, that are unbelievable. I think that, that, yes, we need to allow space for that. I think that more than that, we need to be sensitive to what God may already be doing in the Spirit in what we do when we worship, okay? And uh, just a word about, um, another word about prophecy because I want to address this and I think I've, I've probably told you this before but if you ever believe you have a prophetic word from the Lord and maybe there doesn't, um, you're not sure what to do with that, I want to ask you to write that down um, and bring it to me. Uh, maybe before or after a service or during a greeting time or after the message and bring that to me. If there's agreement there and you trust me as your pastor and, I, and if I'm attuned to the Holy Spirit, I'll make time before or after a message or during for that or uh, I may, it may be the following week. Uh, but don't be afraid to write it down. The, the people get upset with me when I say that. You know, the greatest prophecies of all time are written down right, in the word of God. And I told this story one time in Fairbanks, this, how I feel about this. And a lady, and I may have told you this before, but uh, we were in a, a service and a woman came to me during the greeting time and she said, the Lord woke me up at 3 a.m. and gave me this word and I wrote it down because that's what I had told them to do, just like I'm doing now. And she handed it to me and I said, thank you, I don't, I have time right now, we're getting ready to, I'm getting ready to preach, but can I hold on to it? And she said, yeah. So I went back to my office that following week and I read that, that word. She felt like the, the Lord gave her and, and it was right in line with scripture and it was a very encouraging word and, and I prayed about it and it hit me. The Holy Spirit said to me, this word, it fits right with the sermon I'm gonna preach three weeks from now. I just knew it. So I told her, I called her, I said, hey, it's gonna be a few weeks, but be patient. I feel like this is a word from the Lord for our church but it's not time yet. And she said, okay, I trust you. So three weeks went by. I preached what I'm certain was the greatest sermon those people had ever heard in their lives. That's a joke. <laughs> and I got done and I gave the altar call, preparing myself for the flood of people that were getting ready to come down. And it was like crickets chirping, nothing. And I thought, man, and I was going to use the word to confirm what, was, what I was sure was going to happen. So I said, okay, look, I said, Bonnie Carricker gave me this three weeks ago, and uh, the Lord woke her up at 3 a.m., and I'm just going to share it with you. And I read the word of the Lord to the church, and it was about repentance and some other things. And I said, when I was done, does anybody want to change their mind 
about the altar call before we close the service. And you know, nine people came trucking it down the aisle. You know, I can preach the greatest sermon in the world, but when God speaks, things begin to happen. You see, so be open and be sensitive to that. But what we believe in order, you, do, are you with me? I believe in the charismatic gifts. I really do. And I want them to operate in our church. I just want it to be done right in order. Okay, so moving on. There's another reason that we sometimes fail to obey God's commands. And that's because often to us, what God is telling us to do sounds really crazy. It doesn't always make sense to us in the natural at all. We're like, what? What, God? You, you want me to do What? Has God ever told you to do something that didn't make sense to you? You know, he has to us. He, he told us to sell everything and move to Alaska. That was crazy to us. And then he told us to sell everything and come back. I said, Lord, you know how many times I've said to him, if I'd have just known we were coming back, I'd have kept all my stuff. <laughs> but that was part of the point. I had to get rid of it all. But our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 5. So no matter how crazy it may sound, if we know that we're hearing from God, we have to obey if we want his perfect will for our lives. And I have just another five minutes or so, six, seven minutes, so please bear with me and I'll try and finish quickly. Um, I know we're out of time, but through obedience, even though it doesn't always make sense to us in the natural, God exercises his will for us, okay? So here's question number three, our last point. How does he do that? How does God exercise his will for us through our obedience? Okay, so here are some examples. A, if you're, if you're keeping an outline, provision. God brings provision through our obedience, all right? Mark chapter eight, verses one through nine. We won't have time for you to turn there. It says, in those days... When again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Right? In other words, what you've just said makes no sense. Verse five, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish, right? They were being obedient. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. Even though it made absolutely no sense in the natural, the disciples were obedient and God provided for their need, okay? He brings provision through our obedience. B, he brings protection. God brings protection through our obedience. Let's read Genesis chapter six, verses 11 through 22. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. You all know this story. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. He's very specific about his direction. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark inside in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, 
your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. There was a lot of very specific direction. What a ridiculous idea. Out of nowhere, God says, build this huge boat and put a bunch of stinking animals in it and put your family in it because I'm just going to wipe everything out. That makes no sense in the natural at all. But Noah obeyed and God protected him. We know that, don't we? God brings protection through our obedience. C, he brings deliverance. God brings deliverance through obedience. Let's read Acts 12. We'll hurry through. 6 through 11. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So Peter is obviously locked up here in prison, chained to the wall and heavily guarded, okay? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, probably kicked him, and said, get up. He woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. In other words, this is too crazy to believe. Peter's thinking, this isn't even real, but he does what he's commanded to do. Verse 10, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. What Peter was being told to do made absolutely no sense in the natural to him, but he obeyed and he was delivered because God delivers us through our obedience. And finally, there's victory. God brings victory through our obedience. Turn to First Chronicles if you, if you want. David, uh, we're going to start on verse 13. First Chronicles 14, verse 13. David had just defeated the Philistines here by asking the Lord what he should do, and then he followed God's command. But the Philistines were proving to be very pesky enemies, as the enemy so often does in our own lives. So they're coming against David with another attack. Okay, verse 13. And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God, God said to him, you shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Are you kidding me? You want me to march around behind them as they come into attack until I hear marching in the tops of the trees? It's like a bad kung fu movie. In the natural, that plan makes no sense whatsoever. But through David's obedience, God brings victory to David and his people. 
Okay, look, God often tells us to do something that doesn't make any sense to us, often. But if it's truly God speaking, the only correct response is obedience. But God, and I've said it, it doesn't make any sense. Ask yourself, is it God speaking? If it is, we have to obey. If, if we want to see his will accomplished in our lives, you see. I believe today that God has been speaking to some of you. I've been praying for you about some things he wants you to do. And I don't know what that is, but I know it's God. Even when it doesn't make sense in the natural. Even when it doesn't make sense in the natural. Here's a newsflash. God is supernatural. He isn't limited by our understanding. He isn't limited by our very inadequate inability to reconcile the future. He's God Almighty. He's the creator of the universe and nothing is impossible for him. And if he's speaking to you today, I just want to say you'd better obey if you want his best in your life. Do you need provision? Do you need protection? Do you need deliverance? Do you need victory? If God is speaking to you, and I know he's speaking to some of you, no matter how crazy it seems, if you'll step out in obedience, he will provide and protect and deliver and bring victory in your life. So what are you waiting for? You may seem very little in your own eyes, but God has called you. It may not make sense in the natural, but are you going to trust him or <clears throat> trust him or not? It's time that we answered God with complete obedience. That's what we have to do as individuals. That's what we have to do as a church. So if God's been speaking to you and you're willing to say, okay, I'm ready to obey. And, and Butch, if you would, can you come play? Um, I'm ready to obey. Even though it seems crazy or too difficult or overwhelming in the natural, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you, God, whatever you're telling me to do. If that's you today, I want to ask you if you would stand up. And we're going to pray all together, okay? Is there a dream that God has given you for the future, but it seems too big? If you know it's God that put that dream in you, I want you to stand up. Is there a path set before you, and you know it's the path God wants you to take? But when you look at it, it makes no sense. You can stand up today. Maybe he wants you to let go of something. Maybe he wants you to pick something up. I don't know. If God is leading you, I want you to stand. And by the way, maybe God is speaking to someone here today and saying, I know it doesn't make sense to you in the natural, but I want you to give your heart to me. I want you to live for me. Okay? We need to pray a prayer of commitment. So I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me and we're going to close in prayer. Father, we stand before you today and we may be scared and we may be broken. I think some of us may be hurting and confused. But we know and we believe that you are the God who casts out all fear. You heal the brokenhearted and, and you heal our disease. You're a God of peace and not of confusion. So we're asking you today to honor this step of faith this morning, this step of obedience. 
Would you help us in the coming days to walk in complete obedience to your word and to your voice? No matter how difficult or impossible it might seem, we commit to fully obey you today. We trust you and we love you. And we want to honor you with complete obedience. So Lord, where there's a lack of courage, bring courage. Where there's a lack of strength, bring strength. Where there's a lack of clarity, bring clarity. Where there's a lack of vision, bring vision. Where there's a lack of resolve, bring resolve. If there's a lack of self-control, bring control. Lord, we're asking for a clear path laid before us without any question that we would know it's your voice. And then after that, no matter how crazy it seems, we commit to follow you. We commit to follow you today. I commit my life to you today. And with your head still bowed, I just want to ask, is there anyone here today who's saying, I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe you've never taken that step. I don't know all of you here. Maybe you have in the past and you want to recommit your life to him. I don't know, but if that's any of you here today, and I'm not going to call you up here right now, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Is there anyone that says, you know what? I've been playing at this thing, but not following God. Jesus Christ is calling your name if that's you, and you say, yep, you know what? It's time. I'm ready. I'm not going to embarrass you today, okay? But I'm asking you one last time, would you raise your hand, and we'll all pray a prayer together this morning. Is there anyone here today that says, yep, yep? Anybody else? Are there others? I think we've had this every Sunday since we've opened this church, 10 or 11, 12 weeks, people committing their lives to Christ. Anyone else? Okay. That's the first step of obedience, and everything else has to come after that, all right? Okay, let's pray. I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, just to pray this out loud with you. Repeat after me. It's a basic prayer of commitment. Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life, and I believe that you gave up your life for me so that I could be forgiven of my sins and have eternal life. So I ask you now to forgive me for all my sin. Save me today and make me new. And I'm asking you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life and live in me. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life. And now, Father, we ask you to go with us, to guide and protect us, to, to lead us in your perfect will as we walk in complete obedience to you. Please bless each one here as we seek to obey you this week in all that we do and say. We praise you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.